It's just end. You just got to end it at some point. That's right. Yeah, buy it yourself. Or, or you just say it's the thought that counts. <laughs> that's right. That's right. So as we get started this morning, let's remember Lonnie Harris in prayer. He has COVID, and um, Carolyn just or Justin called us this morning. Justin, right, Mike? Justin and Carolyn called and said that she had to take Lonnie back to the hospital. His oxygen levels were dropping, and so we need to remember him. And Lupe Rosas, um, many of you heard that she was diagnosed with terminal cancer, and so um, it's inoperable. So we need to pray for her, a mother of three, four, sorry, young. I don't know if she's even 40 years old yet. So um, we need to pray for her. Who else? Who else am I forgetting? Anything else, Mike? Yes, Rod Murphy's dad, uh, Kenny Murdoch. Yes, and so let's just let's take these to the Lord in prayer as we open today. Lord Jesus, we thank you. We thank you for your for your promises, Lord God. We thank you that as we travel in this earth, Lord God, that you are a, a friend who sticks closer than a brother, Lord God, that you will never leave us nor forsake us. Lord, I pray right now for those who are struggling in their body with sickness, with disease, Lord God. We take authority over every sickness. I pray right now for Lonnie in the name of Jesus. I ask that, that breath would enter his body. I pray for Kenny Murdoch, Lord God, that you would touch him and heal him. For Lupita, Lord God, I ask that you would touch her body and rid her of every cancerous cell in the name of Jesus. I thank you, Lord God, that you are the author and the finisher of our faith, and you were touched with the feelings of our infirmities, Lord God, and that, Lord God, that by your stripes we are healed. I ask you, Lord God, that you would open our ears to hear, our eyes to see, Lord God. Give us understanding today, we pray, Lord. Be with us as we as we travel, Lord God, in these last days, Lord God, and give us the eyes of the Spirit, Lord God, a heart of discernment, Lord, and let us be led forth in peace today, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Okay, we're going to jump around a little bit today. You might think that we're gonna, you're going to get whiplash. Yeah, I know, that's right. Well, I'm going to read to you. You go to De Deuteronomy, the 20th chapter, and hold your place there, and then also go to uh, Luke, the 14th chapter might seem like a strange combination, but I think, it'll, I think it'll make itself obvious when we get going here. Still talking about the, the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Jesus said in John's Gospel, the 13th verse, he said, when he, the Spirit of truth, comes, he will lead you and guide you into all truth. Lead and guide you into all truth. Uh, just this morning I looked up, I want to know what that word truth meant in the Greek funny word, it actually means reality. The Greeks esteemed the word truth the exact same as reality. Kind of interesting. So when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will lead you and guide you into all reality. Sometimes we have a walk, a spiritual walk that seems disconnected with reality. You ever notice that? We have the spiritual life, and since you can't see the spirit, we have an idea. We kind of turn it into what we call a fantasy. You ever notice that? Have you ever noticed that? That then there's a reality. See, being led in truth, God's spirit of leading us in truth doesn't just impact us in, our, in, in the unseen, but it also impacts us in the seen. The life we live in the practical. Um, I know that, how many of you believe we're living in the last days? I know all the hands are going to go up. But do you know, eschatologically, that last things, yeah, let's say it together, eschatologically, yeah, I, I've lot, it's a big word, 
Eschatology means the study of end, end things, end times. Eschatologically, when we're speaking eschatologically, we're, think, we're speaking of end times. When did, biblically speaking, did the end times begin? On the day of Pentecost. <laughs> How many years ago, Dennis? 2,000 years ago. We've been in the end times. And we're supposed to. That's the sense of imminence that we're supposed to have. Because with the eyes of the Spirit and the heart of the Spirit, 2,000 years compared to eternity is nothing. As the Lord says, one day is a thousand years, and a thousand years is as a day, right? So as I look at this, I'm not wanting to step on any eschatological toes this morning. But I would admonish you to let the Spirit of God lead you into all truth. Do not put off paying bills for the rapture. Or run up credit cards, or buy a bunch of. I've, you think I'm kidding? Don't put off getting a higher education because you think that the rapture is going to come and you're not going to need it. Don't put off, as Oral Roberts said, with the imminence of Christ. We need to. We need to plan like he's or prepare. Be prepared like he's coming today. Live like he's coming today, and plan like he's not coming for a hundred years. Or another 4,000. But the point being, live your life to be here, but always be ready to go in a second. Now, I'm saying that for somebody because what I'm seeing in these last days, as the landscape is changing, I'm seeing people back away from actually participating in reality. You see what I'm saying? I want you to be prepared in reality. What you feel your assignment is, you start working in the reality of it today. Because chances might be that if you buy that new car, you're going to have to figure out how to pay for it. You see what I'm saying? Does that make sense? Get your education. Four years is going to happen whether or not you're prepared or not, or whatever the case may be. Don't, don't say, don't put your life on hold thinking that the rapture is going to, I see this happen and it grieves me. You occupy, you be prepared and you live because a life of faith and a life led of the Spirit is a life that is moving forward in reality. I've seen a lot of people need a spiritual reality check because he, when the spirit of truth comes, he will lead you and guide you into all truth or reality. When you're reality, what did you say, Mike, the other night on a Wednesday night? When you use spirituality to cover your carnality, you're living in a false reality. And that's what happens so many times, that the spirit of truth, he comes and he leads us. He takes the reality of our life. And he takes the reality of heaven and he merges the two in a very practical way. As long as the earth remains, what will there be? Seed time and harvest. So many people don't know that. You're going to reap in due season if you faint not. You're going to reap in due season if you put seed in the ground. Or... You're going to reap what you sow. 
So we have to be prepared. And faith is not just looking to heaven as though it's the place we're going to go. Faith is living and occupying now and being led of the Spirit. That's so important in the day that we're living because we just get this one-day mentality because the kingdom of God is already and not yet. It's coming, it has come, and is coming. We live in that duality of the kingdom of God. And so I want to read to you, you don't have to go there, but you might know this scripture quite well yourself. It says, but thanks be to God who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. In Christ, he, how often does he lead us in triumphant procession? Always. Always. What battle would you not fight if you knew you couldn't lose? Most of us, we get to the place of battle and we're so confused that an enemy's there. We blame God. And if you find yourself blaming God, you know what you were doing before you started blaming God? Testing God. What did Jesus, he said, thou shalt not do what? Test the Lord thy God. You see, God administers tests, you don't. A person who tests God is one person and one person only. The person who is not surrendered to God. They're testing him to find out if whether or not he is worthy to be surrendered to. And so they enter into these tests with him that he doesn't even know he's taking. Well, he knows because he knows your heart, but he hadn't agreed. He hadn't said it at your desk. You slide your Scantron in front of him. You, got your, you hand the number two pencil to him, and you test him on it. And when he fails, you say, what kind of God are you? He didn't show up for your test. He, doesn't, he can't be tested. How could you test the faithfulness of God? How could you? Where would you start? As I will be God in the scenario of Job, I'm hung up. Job, I'll ask you questions and you answer me. Where were you when I laid up the storehouses of snow? Where were you when I told the oceans how far they could come in. Where were you? Where were you when Leviathan was born in the deep and I watched that? Where were you when I formed everything out of nothing? And what did Job come to the conclusion of? He said, I will hold my hand over my mouth and I will not speak. See, this is what we have to understand. The Lord knows, and he is leading us in triumphant procession. I did not say that there would not be a battle to fight, and I did not say that there would not be an enemy before you. So, what happens when you get somewhere and you actually discover an enemy? Instead of testing God on his faithfulness because he brought an enemy to you, how about just let God test you on your surrender to his sovereign plan and his mighty hand to protect you and lead you in 
any and all situations. And I know, I know we live in a perilous world. I know it as well as I'm standing here. I don't pretend that things don't happen and we don't have to walk in many, many and traverse many, many treacherous paths. But God is faithful. He's just faithful. I don't know how he does what he does, but he does it. So I want to read to you this morning as we think about the Holy Spirit leading us and guiding us into all truth, and he's leading us into victory this morning. Deuteronomy 20. Now I'm just going to read quite a bit here. Just want you to think about this. It says, when you go out to battle, where are you going? When you go out to battle against your enemies... And you see horse and chariot, a people more numerous than you. Do not be afraid of them. For Adonai, your God, the one who brought you up from the land of Egypt, is with you. When you draw near the battle, the priests will come forward and speak to the people. And he will say to them, Hear, O Israel, you are drawing near today for the battle against your enemies. Don't be faint-hearted. Don't fear or panic or tremble because of them. For Adonai, your God, is the one who goes with you to fight for you against your enemies to save you. The officers then, so the priests come in, he says, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Don't fear. Don't panic. Don't tremble. Is there going to be an opportunity to fear, panic, and tremble? You betcha. The officers then are going to speak to the troops saying, now listen to this, what man has built a new house and has not dedicated it? Let him go to his house or what otherwise he might die in the battle and another man dedicate it. What man has planted a vineyard and has not put it to use? Let him go back to his house. Otherwise he might die in the battle and another man would begin to use it. What man has become engaged to a woman, but has not married her? Let him go back to his house, otherwise he might die in battle. And another man would marry her. The officer will then speak further to the troops and say, What man is afraid and faint-hearted? Let him go back to his house so he does not weaken his brother's heart like his own. That's interesting, isn't it? What comes to mind when I, anything come to mind when I read that passage of scripture? One thing just jumps out instantly at me. What, what jumps out at you when I read those scriptures? Anything? Gideon, absolutely. Anybody who's afraid can leave. Is fear a dangerous thing? Why? What does it say it's dangerous for? It's opposite of faith? There's another reason it's opposite. There's another reason it's very dangerous, though. It's, it is contagious. Fear is contagious. Fear can be taught. Fear can be caught. And fear can hardly be eradicated. So I will, yes. Dedicated. Um, it says, the officers are to speak to the troops saying, if a man has built a new house that has not been dedicated. Well, it hasn't, it's built, he hadn't lived in it. He hadn't dedicated it to the Lord. He hadn't had the opportunity to live in a new house yet. He has not finished or he hasn't, he hasn't actually taken possession of it. He's in the middle of a big building project. Yeah. So it's not finished.
let me let me keep going. I'll, I'll make a point here. Okay, this will make this will make sense in a second. Now I've, I just read to you Corinthians, right? He leads us in what? Triumph, always, always causes us to triumph, right? You need to remember who does that? Christ always causes us to triumph. Christ always causes us to triumph. He's fought a battle and he's already won it. And we are in him. We're in a place to be in is a place, a position of fixed rest. We are in him and we are therefore triumphant, right? Always causes us to triumph. Okay, so here these in the law, this is the, this is the allocations made for those going out to battle. To those going, if, you've, if, you bought, if you're building a house and you hadn't dedicated it yet, you can go back to the house because you might die in battle and you'd never get to live in it. You've had a vineyard, and you haven't, what was it, you hadn't sowed it yet? Is that what it was? Yeah. Haven't eaten from it yet. Hadn't had a harvest from a vineyard. So you got this expectancy, and you haven't had a, har- a vintage from that vineyard yet, and you might die in battle, so go back to the house. Or you've engaged to a woman, and you hadn't married her yet, so go back, because you might die, Go back to the house. Now, let's go to Luke 14. Let's go to Luke 14. Oh, and by the way, if you're afraid, go to the house. I mean, pretty soon, you know, do we have any fighters left? Uh, there you go. You know, as Jonathan said, what does it matter to the Lord if he saves by many or a few? But how, how often do we triumph in Christ? How often is always? Give me a number. Okay, okay, so here we got Jesus talking. Jesus is so magnificent. He just takes the law, and he, he's the word made flesh, and so he takes the law, and he fulfills the law, and he just wraps himself in it. And he just, he just he takes it, and he puts it through this vessel of his manhood and his humanity, and he brings it forth in the teaching of his mouth, and he brings such clarity to it. And he says, and everything he did, he puts full stop on the law. And this is, here's an example of it. You ready? says, um, so Yeshua, Jesus, has gone to the house of the leaders of the Pharisees, and he's eating on the Sabbath. Cool, right? So he heals a man with dropsy. A man, dropsy is, it's a swelling disorder. Have you ever seen people whose legs and things get really, 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 really swollen? And so this man comes, is there, and I don't know how he does it. Doesn't make any big fan for it. Fairy just heals them. And, you know, everybody's kind of taken back because he did it on the Sabbath, and, but I want to go down here and read as he's teaching this, and he starts teaching in the midst of his eating, in the midst of his healing, in the midst of his living. Man, look how his reality, look how reality and truth just kind of merge all together. Isn't that amazing? He's eating, he's healing, healing, he's teaching. All just blending seamlessly in the word of God. And he says here in verse 12, it says, Then Yeshua was also saying to, one, to the one who had invited him. Can you imagine here? When you, when you host a luncheon or dinner, don't invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or your rich neighbors. Otherwise, they might invite you in return and pay you back. But when you host a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed since they cannot repay you. So, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. So, in other words, don't do favors for people who can do favors back to you. Do favors to people who can't even pay you back. 
and then the Lord will pay you back. It says, now hearing this, one of those dining with Jesus said to him, blessed is he who eats bread in the kingdom of God. I always like it. I'd be that person, always just saying stuff at the wrong time. You know what I mean? Just popping up. Oh, I just have a, you know, I'm eating dinner with Jesus and he's teaching and I just want to, I want to be in there. Blessed is he who eats bread in the kingdom of God. This would be me. I know it. And then, but, but Jesus, when you have a but, but Jesus, but Jesus said to him, a certain man was hosting a large banquet and he invited many. And at the time of the banquet, he sent his slave to tell those who had been invited, come, everything is ready and prepared. But every one of them began to make excuses or beg off. Oh, we're starting to connect Deuteronomy 20 now? Listen. The first said to him, I bought a farm, and I'm obligated to go see it. I'm asking you, have me excused. Jesus said, I've purchased five team of oxen, and I'm going to check them out. I'm asking you, please have me excused. Still another said, I married a wife, and I can't come. Now, he's talking to Jews. When he's making this reference, you think they're smart enough to connect it back to Deuteronomy? Oh, yeah. I know what's going on. The slave came and reported these things to his master, and his master of the house got angry and said to the slave, Quickly, go into the squares and the alleys in the city and bring here the poor, the the maimed, the blind, and the lame. And the slave said, Master, I have done what you've instructed, and still there is room. So the master said to the slave, Go out into the thoroughfares and the fenced areas and press them to come, so my house may be full. For I tell you, none of those men who were invited will taste my banquet. Now you may be wondering what my point's going to be with a Jesus who leads us in triumphant entry in all things. You see, when the battle is won, don't get the battle confused with a banquet. See the, law, see, the battle hadn't been won yet in Deuteronomy. From the day, uh, Matthew eleven twelve. yes, that's right, Matthew eleven twelve. From the days of John the Baptist, another time, Old Test, last of the Old Testament prophets. From the days of John the Baptist, Jesus said, until now, now. New, new, new dispensation, new covenant, until now. The kingdom of God has suffered violence. Read, the, read the, the first five books of the Bible, see if you can find any violence. You'll have a hard time. The kingdom of God has suffered violence, and the violent take it by force. From when? From the days of John the Baptist until now. You don't have to fight a battle and be afraid and use the excuses that were provided under the law because he's invited you not to a battle but to a banquet. You see what I'm saying? If, if he has always leads us in triumph, then... Why 
are you so afraid? And what are you afraid of? Tell me what you're afraid of. Don't say you're afraid of fear. See, that's a cop-out. What are you afraid of? Yeah, we'll get one. I'm sorry. Right there. The world, Hebrews says it, the world is held in bondage unto the fear of death. Right. Right. Yeah, you're like I'm here until I'm not here, right? Absolutely. I'm reading. I read um, Athanasius on the incarnation. I read it to Mike. The one part in there. He puts. He's at 300 BC, AD. Sorry, 300 AD. He said, "Now we are such witnesses in the world." Because we are no longer of those who run from death. Yea, we run to it. Even children run to it. Women and maids run to it. Slaves run to it. And the world cannot conceive of how we no longer are held enslaved by the fear of death. I read that to Mike and I said, I think Athanasius would be discouraged by our present value system. <laughs> yes. Yes. Mm-hmm. The Feast of Lights, right? Read Hebrews 11, where it talks about those who were sawn in two and those who were all those things and they were tortured and they loved not their lives unto death. It's talking about the people that lived during the Maccabean Rebellion. Yes. Mm hmm. Right. An account. Yes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And not just Hong Kong, but in uh, the Middle East. Mm-hmm. Right. And the, the oil stayed. And, and it's true. 
We wouldn't have the time. It was perfect for the timing to come from, from where Jesus came, absolutely. Mm-hmm. He did. Mm-hmm. And they would have to know the word of God. Mm-hmm. And that's true. Was in their heart. And that's a really good point. Was in their mind and in their heart. I wonder, I wonder if that's the only scripture you had. I mean, I'm not trying to put a guilt trip on anyone. Yes. Let's focus on the things of God and let's believe. Yeah. Well, and that's funny because, I mean, I told Mike that I felt a, I felt a real push from the Holy Spirit. And I'm not saying you should do this. This is, this is me and this is what I'm doing. I felt a real push from the Holy Spirit that in the, in the beginning of the year to read the Bible through in 90 days. That means, you know, it's like 13 chapters a day, so I got a head start. And some days I'll read 20, and some days I'll read 13, and some days like when you get behind, I'm telling you, how many is that? It doesn't take long to do the math, does it? But I want to see how much of the Word of God that I can get in me. And it might mean I have to turn off the TV. Oh, no. I won't, I won't get to see. I won't get to see, you know, all the, the filth. <laughs> Even if I'm watching... Oh, no, even if I'm watching a good, wholesome movie, I still have to watch all the filth in the commercials. Oh, no, oh, no, what will I do if I can't watch it? Right? Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, I challenge you. When I, and, I, and I look at this challenge, and I know that um, I'm probably, I, I don't know how I'm hitting. I really don't know how I'm hitting on this. But I do know that, that if I read statistical data, that most people are not reading the Bible. That's just statistical data. I'm not saying that you're in the statistics. Odds are some of you are. And so I'm telling you, you need to know the word of God. I had some friends who were missionaries to China, speaking of China. And they taught in the university under Chairman, Chairman Mao was there. And they were Assemblies of God missionaries, but you can't go to China as an Assembly of God missionary. And so she and her best friend, they went there and they were English teachers. They had, and they taught in the university. And as an English teacher in the university, the church, the underground church, would have students in the class. And the students in the class would ask questions about a book they had read from literature. And she, Ruth, could teach as they were asked questions. And they always had spies. She knew. She always knew that the Mao regime always had persons in the classroom. And she always had the present dynamic of that going on at all times. And when she came to our church, we were in Kilgore. She said, she said, I spend large amounts of my day memorizing scripture. 
I memorize it because I know at any moment, I know where every Bible is at in my house and I know where I've put it. She said, because if there's a knock at the door that's unexpected, she said, I run to the Bible and I hide it trying to put it out of sight because if they find it, I know I'm going to prison instantly. And she said, and I want to make sure that if I'm thrown into prison and they've taken my Bible, they can't take my Bible. Now, I, I, I hear of that. I hear of that. And, and, I, and, I, and I wonder so many times about, about our present situation and I think about our present spiritual climate. I wonder that if we could just take a spiritual, he will lead you and guide you into all truth. Reality. Remember, I told you the same word is reality. What is our reality today in the American church? Do you think? I won't say. I won't say what I think it is. What do you think it might be? I told you statistically, very few people read their Bible who claim to be Christians. Because they'll say that on a, a poll because there's no name assigned to it. But I wonder, what do you think the spiritual climate is of the American church? You would give it a cold. Anybody else? Lazy. We got a lazy. What comes? You say you're alive, but you're dead. Okay, what else? Uh huh. For our own personal, because, and, that, and that's what I'm getting to here, you know, I'm, I'm throwing it out there and asking you to discern the American church, and I'm hoping that you will hit yourself somewhere. Okay, when you say religion, that's great. What do we mean when we say religion? Just law, just wrote, doing things out of, you know, I do this and that, there's no actual relationship attached to it, because there's no heart devotion attached to it. Secularism. Okay, so we have, we, have, we have a lot of, how many of you say we have a lot of spiritual idolatry, adultery going on? That we have, we've made ourselves harlots to the world system. Yes, I've got it. Yeah. Oh, wow, good. We're so camouflaged that we could, could anybody, could anybody, if we were in a court of law, could they, is there enough evidence to prove you that you are convicted as a Christian? I saw one right here, Becky. So checking boxes, yeah. Okay. So checking the fundamental boxes, you know, checking the. I saw something else. That's your hand. Yes, Dennis. Just oh, the environment has completely impacted us. That's good. Uh huh. Uh huh. Uh huh. Hmm. Complacent. Yeah. Oh, just yeah. Just room temperature. Wow. Yeah, Shelby. Mhm. Mm and. 
fund our religion, our fundamentalism. Okay. But we're really not. I will tell you, because on the, on the chance that it may feel like I am bringing us down, I will give a personal testimony. When we moved here, I mean, I have, I mean, I've been a Christian, and y'all all know, y'all all have the exact same walk. Those of you who've served the Lord for any amount of time. There are times in your life, if you look at your, the landscape of your, Christian, your Christianity, your Christian walk, your, your relationship with Christ, and you see, how many of you step back and you see ebbs, you know, the ebb and flow, right? Where you look at times in your life and you assess your own heart, because who knows your heart better? Even though you don't know your heart, because the, the heart above all things is evil, who can know it? You don't even know your heart fully well. But you can know it better than any other human being, right? You really can. And there might be times in your life <clears throat> where, you know, you, you, are, you can look and you can say, you know what, I, I walked closer to the Lord there. Anybody know what I'm talking about? And you look now and, you, you know, you're seeing the landscape of your life. You're going, I'm not as close because I can compare what my desires and my beliefs and my faith and where I was at there. You know, I told you all last week that if all you've got is a candle flame, the first breath of wind will blow it out. But if you have an inferno, if your flame is bright enough, wind will just infuriate it. Wind will spread it. Wind won't extinguish it. Rain will have a hard time extinguishing a flame that is burning hot enough. So we look at that, and I know that in my life, I looked and I said, the honest assessment a number of years ago, I mean, I lived here, and I looked at my life and I said, God, he didn't, you know, I'm going to tell you all this anyway. I said, God, I can see the condition of my heart, and I know that I was more devoted to you in one place in my walk than I am now. I know that because my desires have shifted. This is my own honesty. My desires have shifted, and time in your word and in your presence and in study is more of a discipline than it is a luxury. And so I said, Lord, I know you know what's going on. And I surrender my heart to you to woo me back again, to win me one more time. You see, I didn't have to work myself back. And I said, God, I put my full confidence in you because what I do is not sufficient to earn anything. I called upon the Lord of grace and I said, Lord, I once again submit my heart to you wholly, even the areas I can't get around. And I ask you to bring me back to a place of, of passionate devotion before you again. And it's not something you pray on Sunday and you walk in on Monday. 
It's something that you move in day after day after day. And I can tell you today, I stand here as a testimony to God that God is faithful because I have more love for the Word of God today than I ever have in my life. I will read 13 to 20 chapters today not to impress you or not to not to bring you and go, wow, she's just amazing. I, none of that. I do it because I hunger and thirst. As the deer pants for the water brook, so my soul longs after you, O oh God. And if I'm saying that to you and that's foreign, and you're honest enough to say that's a little bit foreign to me, Andrea, then what I would ask you to do is just pray that simple prayer, Lord, take my heart captive by your love again. And he will. He knows how to get the job done. Yes, Dennis. In Revelation it says, and I've misquoted this for you, mm-hmm. you have lost your first love. Mm-hmm. It doesn't say that. Mm-hmm. It says you have left. Left. Yes. Absolutely. And I knew I couldn't fix myself. You see what I'm saying? I couldn't fix myself through hard work and more diligence and more devotion. Now, I did have to. There is a place. Hang on just a second. I'm going to come to you. There is a place where the discipline is there. And then discipline gives way, and it no longer is discipline, and it's full-fledged devotion. See what I mean there? I don't feel the discipline. I don't say, I've got to go do my spiritual discipline this morning and spend time in prayer. But if, if I have to do something that interrupts my morning, I don't like it. Why? It's my new desire. Because he's made it my new design. And it's not something I work at anymore. It works me. Yes. And you look at ourselves. Yes. Absolutely. That's what I wanted to get to with that. What's wrong with assess my heart? Because first love, first love will always be greater than any other works mentality. Because the first love, it's a priority love. And it always does what love always does, what, it, what desire beckons. Yes. 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 Right. Right. Good points. 
Right. And see, and what I, when I, we talk about that, and I'm not trying to even get you to cast stones. All I, all I want us to do is to make an assessment of our own self. That, that's my only point is to see, Lord, I want to, you know, I want to have a parent-teacher conference and I want to grade my progress as an individual. Yes. Yes. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Right. That's, and that's exactly right. There's nothing, there is nothing that we can do in this house except surrender more deeply. Except, I think it does come with a true assessment of where we are individually. To say, you know, what is the condition, <clears throat> excuse me, of my heart. And, you know, I have taught long enough to know that it does me little good to find your faults if you never find them. And so it does me great good to see my own and let the Lord move me from there and to have his devotion and his desire and those things burn in my heart again. Because I can just look, and, and I'm, not, I'm not talking about legalism, but I, I do... I do wonder about a spiritual condition of us individually if we, if we know more about politics than we do about the Pentateuch. The five, first five books. I'm just trying to use some alliteration to be cool. So You see what I'm saying? I will, I will, I'll, I'll, I'll layer it in there, you know. Hey, I'm a, I'm a lowly chicken fighter. I just had to learn these big words. <laughs> so what we look at here, we find that we really need to assess our place because I believe that there's coming a day where we're going to need the Word of God more than we need any other thing and that we're going to need to know that he leads us in triumph in all things and that we no longer make excuses why we don't want to go to the battle because we have such faith in him knowing that the battle that he's inviting us to is in fact a banquet and this can be proven even in the old covenant Joshua and Caleb see it was not anything other when you find faith in the old covenant it's faith in Christ it's still faith in Christ you're like how could it be faith in Christ Christ wasn't there it was in the Christ that was coming not in the one that was already here they had a faith we know that because Moses is named in Hebrews that said that he he chose rather to be aligned with the sufferings of Christ than to enjoy the pleasures in Egypt now did Moses know Christ not in the person but he knew him his faith in the Christ who was coming and so when we see Joshua and Caleb when the spies went in to spy out the land right there were 12 of them and we know 10 brought back a negative report but what did Joshua and Caleb say now you may not just know this right off the top of your head they said yeah there are giants there but you know what they said they are our bread. I said they're a banquet. The Lord has made them a banquet for us. Why wouldn't we fight 
they're giant loaves of bread. Just there for our taking. Now that's faith, guys. That's faith in a God who can, who has, who will, and who will every time when he finds a people who will look at the battle as a banquet instead of a battle because Christ has already been victorious. And when you find those people who actually understand that Christ has won, they won't make excuses. I mean, I get up on a Sunday morning when it's raining, and every other preacher across every cloudy place in the world does the same thing. Oh, God, why does it have to rain on Sunday? They won't come to church when it rains. The ones who are full of faith and power are too afraid. They'll say, I'm just afraid to drive in the rain. But they'll go to Walmart in the rain. Oh, Yeah. So see, we have, and this, so this is what we do. You know, I'm just telling you all my, all the secrets. You know what I mean? I'm like, God, it's got to be, you know, on a Sunday morning, we get the best chance of getting people in the house. If it's sunny, but not too warm, or they go to the lake. Can't be too nice, or they want to spend time in nature. I mean, if it's too, you know, they won't come if it's raining, because it's just inconvenient. And I understand people have to stay back for many, many things. But I'm asking you, I'm asking you, there are two types of people. There are just two types of people in the world. Those who say, I'll miss if I have to, and those who say, I'll come if I can. One seldom do, and the other seldom will. Those I miss if I have to, they hardly ever do. And those who say, I'll come if I can, never seem to be there. And I wonder what kind we are. I say, oh, God, oh, God, when you're picking, who are you picking? I don't know. I'm like, Lord, you got a Chinese church, and they're on fire. I mean, they're going to be they're going to be taken and tortured. They hadn't had the word of God for years, years. We've been smuggling in fire Bibles to them, and they get a crate of Bibles. Oh, I'm telling you, when I saw that video of the Chinese underground church and the crate, the shipment of smuggled fire Bibles came into the, into the room, and they opened it up, and they're quiet, and they're, they're packed in a little bitty basement. I mean, shoulder to shoulder, just like this. You know what I mean? They are so packed in. And the, and the Bible, and the pastor's up there, and there's a, there's a crate of Bibles, and it's opened up. And those Chinese believers, they are given that Chinese fire. I have one in Mike's office. I wish I had brought it today. They're given that Chinese fire Bible. And I watched them as they looked at that, and tears began to roll down their face as they kissed it, and they kissed it, and they kissed it, and they hugged it to themselves, and they praised God with tears rolling down their face, and they smelt of it, and they kissed it, and they kissed it, and they kissed it. I'm like, wow. And I was riding back and forth to church in the dash of the car or under a seat. You know something? I, I remember the story. And I, I, why am I getting off on the Word of God? Because you just can't. It's just so. You know what, Deborah, when you took me to synagogue, I loved it. I loved it because they brought up the Torah, didn't they? The scroll. You don't do it all the time, do they? You said they don't do it all the time. It was a holy day, it was, a, it was the tabernacle, the, I mean, the, the trumpet blowing day. Oh, they do? That's great. So they brought they, the Torah. It was like this cabinet, and they had this huge scroll, right? And they were bringing it by. And I've never been to synagogue, so she's like narrating for me the whole time. You know, I'm like a kid, and I'm going, what? Where's it going? Uh-huh. 
you know, that's what I'm doing. And so she's telling me, oh, and they're bringing the scroll around, and then people, and she said, as they bring the scroll around, they were, you're supposed to, they, people would kiss it, right? They would, they would do this, and they would kiss it. And you know what struck me? I laughed. Because I've never been there. But there are many, many mornings I will read the Bible, and I will hold it to my chest, and I'll go, God, I love your word. I'll, I'll just kiss the Bible. I'll say, God, I love your word. I love your word. And I thought, isn't that just like God to show me I'm not a weirdo? Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes. Mm-hmm. Just kiss your body. Yeah. <laughs> I don't want to kiss everything they've been kissing. They've been kissing that a long time. Cast it behind us. Mm hmm. Mm-hmm. They honor. And I, I like that. I like the symbolism, what it's teaching people. Now, granted, granted, those are just, those are just things you do if you don't have a heart for it. But, but the symbolism of seeing the word and keeping it before your eyes and not putting your back on it, I, I just wonder, I just wonder if we find ourselves, when we talk about the word of God, the bread of life, if we find ourselves being like the, the unbelieving Israelites who traveled in the wilderness and who said, who said, God, Moses, we, all we have is this loathsome manna. It's all we have is loathsome manna. It's detestable to us. And, you know, the word of God, it is, it's not only quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, but he sends your word and he heals your disease. He says your word is like medicine to me. That your word is a frontlets between my eyes. It gives me guidance. It says that your word is my constant meditation day and night. It says your word I have hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. Yes. I've done that so many times. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They do. It is. Mm-hmm. It's there. And it, it's timeless. Yes, Dennis? Mm. 
That's exactly right. And I know that when I got saved, we'll close with this. When I got saved, I was 11 years old, and I wasn't saved in a Christian home. So we did have a Bible in the house, and it was a green, y'all know it well, it was the, the living Bible. Came out in the 70s, green padding, about this color. But you know, it had padding, it was a hardcover. Probably you know it if you're as old as me. Everybody had one, because it was a new translation at the time, and it was readable. And so that was, that was the Bible that I had. And I and I, I was, like I said, I wasn't raised in a Christian home, but I had, when I got saved, I had such a desire for the Word of God. As an 11-year-old, such a desire for the Word of God. I would take it to my room at night, and I had it in my room, and I would hide, and I would read the Bible. I would hide because I didn't, I felt like I might get in trouble or be made fun of in my house. And so I would hide and I would read the Bible and I would just, and I, would, I remember, I remember like it was yesterday when I was 11 years old and I read about the conquest of, of Jericho. And I read how, how Joshua commanded the people to march around and how the walls fell and how the Bible said that it was devoted to destruction and everything in the city was to belong to the Lord. Everything in the city was to belong to the Lord. All of the cattle, everything, nothing they were to retain for themselves. You know the story, right? And as I read that, I remember like it was yesterday. I've never told this story. I've told Mike because I don't really understand it. But I read that story. Now, I'm 11 years old and you know the house I'm living in. And when I read that story, I said, God, I don't understand why you did that. That's why you have such a bad reputation. Because my parents always said, my dad always said that preachers uh, were lazy and that they made too much money for doing nothing. And that all they, they just didn't, they didn't know how to work. And so, which was funny coming from him who seldom kept a job. But and I, and I thought, but then as I read that, I thought, see, God, that's why they say that about you. Because you say stuff like that, because that's all, pre I was told, that's all preachers do is take up offerings. When I read that, I thought, that's just an offering. God's just taking up an offering, and that gives him a bad reputation. If he just gave all that away, people wouldn't be, it wouldn't, his reputation wouldn't be an error. And I closed the Bible, and I put it on my nightstand. As true as I'm sitting here, I said, God, I just wish you wouldn't do that. You know, I'm 11. And I turned off my light, and I rolled over. And when I rolled over, there was a stinging scorpion on my pillow. And it got me right there. And as soon as that stinging scorpion hit me, if you've ever been stung by a scorpion, it's like a cigarette burn. Hard, hard. Yes. That scorpion hit me. It was on my pillow. And as soon as that scorpion hit me, now I'm not saying God put the scorpion there, but he used it. He spoke to me. And he said, rid yourself of that ideology. He didn't use those words. I, I'm using those words as an adult now. Rid yourself of that thinking. It will sting you for the rest of your life. And I said, as I grabbed my arm and I was screaming and my mother, and I said, I, I do, God, forgive me. Forgive me. I don't understand you, but I trust you. I don't understand you, but I trust you. And I went to the kitchen. My mother made a baking soda and vinegar compound, and she put it on there. And as a result of that, I've never questioned when God says tithe is his, tithe is his. 
because I knew an 11-year-old girl was taught that a greedy misunderstanding of God will be a scorpion to my path all of my life. Now, you think God can't teach you? Get in his word, and he will lead you and guide you into all truth. Lord bless you. No power. It's not even a church, just the great harlot. It will become the great harlot.